So before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is July 27th, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman. I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with William Montgomery, who is in Salina, Ohio, and we're doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. Uh, so just to start off, when and where were you born? Yeah, uh, please call me Bill, by the way. Okay. Ben. I was, I was sure. born March, tw- March 20th. 1950 in Inglewood, New Jersey. Uh, my father was in his uh, last year at Columbia Law School, so I was born in the East, but but I'm not from the East. Okay, perfect. All right, and you go by Bill Montgomery. Correct. Okay, and um, let's see. What were your parents' names? Uh, Don and Barbara. Okay, and. Uh, where was your family from before Indiana? Uh, my family is from Salina, Ohio. This is where I was, was raised. Oh, okay. And so how did you get to Indiana then? Well, I went to college at DePauw. Uh, I was a freshman in 1968. And uh, after completing my degree, uh, I went to uh, Ohio Northern University Law School okay. in Ada, Ada, Ohio. And... In, um, in 1976, I, I moved to uh, Frankfort, Indiana, and uh, a year later, I ran for uh, uh, for the legislature. Okay. I, I was I was involved in a three-way Republican primary to challenge uh, the incumbent uh, Democrat uh, Don Stanley. Okay, interesting. And so, so you went to college in Indiana. Um, right. And what did you major in in college? I majored in psychology. Psychology, okay. And I, I was a four-year member of the uh, DePaul baseball team. Oh, wow, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. And um, just growing up, what uh, understanding, if at all, did you have about your family's political views? Well, I had a pretty clear understanding. My, my father... Uh, was a, a Republican county prosecutor oh, okay. in, the early, in the early 1950s. Yeah. Okay. And um, while you were at DePauw, how did you view your college experiences? Well, I had a great college experience. Um, I did a lot of things. I, I was very active in, in many, many uh, campus affairs, including the, uh, the campus newspaper. Um, it was a tumultuous time. The Vietnam War was raging. Uh, you know, the, the four students at Kent State uh, in Ohio uh, were shot during that time. Right. And the Air Force ROTC building at DePaul was burned by two students. Yeah. On the ground. Wow. Yeah, so it was a tumultuous time. And I really count my, my lucky stars that I was surrounded by uh, a bunch of really, really good guys. Uh, I was in the Phi Kappa Psi fraternity, and um, I really think maybe if it hadn't been for that cadre of good, solid uh, friends that, um, you know, I, I might have uh, become a wayward son, as, as some people did back then, but, mm, but, I, but okay. I didn't. I, I, pretty, I pretty much uh, played it down the middle. Okay, interesting. Uh, Dan Quayle was at DePaul at that time, by the way. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> That's another interesting factor at play there. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, when I ended up uh, serving in the in the House, both uh, Ned Lampkin, who was our majority floor leader, and John Donaldson, uh, state rep from Lebanon, were also DePaul grads. Yeah. So that that that, that was kind of neat. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So yeah, a pretty good alumni group there in the General Assembly yeah. at the time. Um, in what ways did your awareness of politics change when you were in college? I think I just became more aware. Okay. I, I wasn't I wasn't involved uh, in any in any formal way, but but you uh, you you couldn't help but you know be made aware, particularly of world affairs. And I I don't know uh, you know necessarily about. Uh, intricate state of Indiana affairs at that time, but I, right. think I certainly had an awareness of, you know, what was going on in the world because many many of us, uh, well, we not many, all of us were of draft age, and there was still a, a military draft going on at that time. In fact, the lottery was invoked, and I can remember my sophomore year sitting around uh, with a bunch of my fraternity brothers and watching on national TV as uh, someone pulled. Uh, ping pong balls with numbers on them out of a fishbowl, mm. and that number that number represented um, your number in, in the lottery. So when 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 mine was pulled out, I think I was two two hundred and thirty five or something like that. So my chances of uh, of being drafted were were fairly slim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that was kind of a uh, a tough process to watch because you never know initially. <laughs> No, but I I, I I had some friends who who had low numbers and they were drafted as soon as they oh, graduated. Oh wow! We had stu- we had student deferments until until graduation. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Um, so, uh, briefly talk a little bit about your employment history after college. Well, I went straight to law school mm-hmm. after college. Yeah. And after graduating from from law school, and I I, I moved to, to Indiana. I had I had uh, passed up an opportunity to go to New York City and go into an executive training program with a uh, subsidiary of uh, Swiss Re, uh, which is a reinsurance company. Okay. And I I I declined that that offer, and I moved to Indiana. Uh, bought a used pickup truck, truck and a collie puppy, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and uh, I, I was a bachelor for a long time, by the way. Okay. And, and then I, I had accepted a job as uh, assistant manager of the Ladoga Federal Savings and Loan, and I was a management trainee there, um, with the with the notion that in, in a few years I would become the uh, the manager of the Frankfurt branch. It was called Ladoga, even though it was in Frankfurt. Um, because I think the origins of that uh, savings and loan w- were in Ladoga, which is um, kind of over by Crawfordsville. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so I did that. I, I did that for for a couple of years, um, but I was I was kind of itching for something a little more challenging, and I was one who went to law school uh, a little bit by default. Again, that the Vietnam War was raging. As long as I was still in school, I had a student deferment. And I really wasn't sure what I wanted to, to do with my life, but I thought as long as I'm doing something positive and putting one foot in front of the other, that, that eventually things might become 
clearer to me and that in the long run um, things would work out. And of course, you know, hindsight of 50 years, that, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it, so anyway, um, I can remember uh, one evening with friends watching the movie The Candidate uh, starring Robert Redford. Okay. And I was, I, I, was, I, was, I was just intrigued by that whole process. And then um, shortly thereafter, I was with another group of uh, DePaul friends in, in Indianapolis. And I just sort of um, posed a question. You know, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go in this yeah. <laughs> life. I really, I really don't want to practice law. Um, I'd like to be able to use that background in, in some, some way. And wh- what do you folks think I'm good at? And boy, several of them just piped up and said, you'd be good at politics. You, you know, you, you meet people well. Uh, you've got the, you know, you've got a good um, educational background. And then just having been kind of warmed up by the movie The Candidate, I thought, well, yeah, let me, let me think about this. <laughs> and so I just started exploring a little bit. And um, I knew that our, our local state representative at that time uh, from Frankfurt was a fellow named Don Stanley. And so I made some inquiries among our, uh, some of the local political, politically savvy folks, including some former state office holders, and they encouraged me to, to, to get involved and throw my hat in the ring. And if you'll indulge me, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Because, sure. Uh, my mother's family was from Clinton County, and... But I'd only lived there about a year, and nobody really knew who Bill Montgomery was. And, and in politics, name recognition is, you know, it's just critical. Right. So, so how do I how do I get name? And this would have been, you know, sometime in 1978, I guess. Well, how do I get name recognition? Well, <laughs> my good and dear friend and, and my uh, roommate at DePaul, a fellow named Mel Trock who was a, uh, a young associate with the Ice Miller Law Firm in Indianapolis, said, uh, uh, your dad, meaning my dad, did the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race, didn't he? I said, yes, he did. And, and by, by the way, my, my dad was a John Wayne-esque okay. person. <laughs> he, was, he was big, he was bold, he was smart. And he was the fir- my dad, uh, Don, was the first Ohioan to ever complete the Iditarod Trail sled dog race in Alaska. Wow. And after law school and before I uh, did anything uh, really meaningful, uh, my dad, a uh, retired uh, large animal veterinarian from near Worcester, Ohio, and I uh, spent six weeks in the bush in, in Alaska along with uh, uh, my dad and, and uh, Doc Sprunger's sled dogs, kind of getting the lay of the land. My dad's goal was to uh, raise his own uh, dog sled team uh, uh, in Ohio and then ultimately compete and then complete the Iditarod. And are you familiar? Ben, yes. With the Iditarod? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so, so I, I'd had that experience and, and my dad uh, did, uh, he, he entered the race in 70, no, I got to think, 77 and he didn't complete it. He got about, he got about, uh, three quarters of the way and was involved in a 24 hour whiteout and, mm. and uh, give it up. So he laid out a year and, and uh, became a little more uh, educated, got himself a, a real good lead dog uh, mm-hmm. from, from, from some Indians, you know, in Alaska. That was the only 
that kind of non-resident dog that he had. And then he went back and completed it in 79. And uh, um, I, I may have my dates a little bit off. But uh, yeah. anyway, he, Dad had done the idea right. So my buddy Mel says, why don't you see if you... If, and by the way, uh, this was, I guess, in 70, 78. Right. Um, th- there had been a, uh, a blizzard in Indiana, major blizzard. Uh, gas was being rationed. Uh, everything was closed down. I mean, it was a major, major event. You, you probably weren't even alive then. No. But, but my buddy says, why don't you play on this blizzard and the, uh, uh, you know, come up with some energy theme and drive a team of sled dogs to the state house <laughs> and, fi- and file your declaration of candidacy. Um, and, and I thought, man, is that, is that outlandish? But uh, let me think about it. So... Anyway, my dad loaned me five or six dogs, and uh, I, I, re- I had been sports editor of the, of the campus paper at DePaul, uh-huh. and, and because of that and because I played uh, varsity baseball, I knew the sports information director at DePaul very well. It was a fellow named Pat Aikman, and, and I called Pat and told him about this harebrained scheme, and he jumped on it. He was very happy to help me. <laughs> and uh, he said, I think it's a great idea. He said, he, he said, let me call my friend Tom Keating at the Indianapolis Star. Now, uh, Ben, Tom Keating was a longtime feature editor at the Star, and he was also a DePaul grad. Okay. So, uh, so Keating was alerted to this guy who's going to be coming to the State House on, with a team of sled dogs right down Senate Avenue. And uh, I had... I'd been smart enough to get police permits so that I could do this in case, you know, I'd be stopping traffic or something. And I got two fellas uh, from Frankfurt to be sort of be my handlers, that is, uh, kind of uh, helping with the dogs and, and as we approach the state house, um, you know, kind of standing by in case uh, anything untoward occurred. Well, it didn't, but as luck would have it, there were TV crews in the area that day. So, oh my gosh! So I got so I was on TV. Uh, Tom Ke- Tom Keating. Uh, I'm 27 years old. Uh, 20 27 28 I think 28 maybe. Um, so Keating wrote an article about this, and he called it "Spotting Publicity Hounds." And you, you can find the article. Yeah. Um, and and then a number of other papers, uh, the Lafayette. Um, Paper picked it up. Of course, the Frankfurt Times picked it up, and then I, and then I was on TV to boot. So, <laughs> as corny as, a, and then of course I made some, you know, some uh, uh, statements about how we need to rethink our energy policy. And but what it did was it got me some instant recognition, and so I could use uh, pictures of, of of the dogs and I and, and my big parka and everything. I could use that on some of my campaign literature, and if people. Uh, you want them to remember your name. If they didn't, they could at least remember, you know, who that nut was that, uh, yeah. you know, that drove the team of, of, of dogs to the estate house. Yeah. In any event, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It got me some name recognition when I'd only lived in the state uh, for for about a year. Yeah. And uh, and then and then of course I I filed that day uh, to run for for uh, House District Twenty Eight which uh, encompassed most of Clinton County and parts of four other counties, uh, including uh, Tippecanoe, Carroll, Boone, and Hamilton. 
a few townships in each of those. It was about a 90-mile-long district, so it was uh, it, it was challenging to campaign in because it was it, it was so long. Um, in any event, uh, the two other fellows also filed a local radio personality named Dan Foley and a fellow named Charlie Akerd from Sheridan. So three of us were vying uh, for the Republican primary and a chance then to take on uh, the incumbent Don Stanley. And uh, I can remember just kind of running with blinders on. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a neophyte mm-hmm. in all this. I tried, I tried to take uh, the best advice from, uh, uh, from, from everybody. I tried to take the high road and, um, in any event, the, the night of the election, I went to bed around midnight, just exhausted, uh, having just, as I say, run with blinders on. Yeah. And I, I had lost by, I think it was four votes or six votes, something like that. I mean, it just, it, you know, it was just a, a horse race, but I'd lost. Mm-hmm. And I accepted that. I was tired. And at three in the morning, uh, my phone rang, and uh, it was a radio station in Lafayette. And they said, Bill, we are here to tell you uh, that that uh, uh, a township uh, misreported uh, its results in Tippecanoe, and you have won. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Well, the presses had already rolled by that time. The Noblesville Ledger ran a ran an article about Dan Foley eking out this victory over, you know, Bill Montgomery and Charlie Akert. It was a little bit like, uh, on a smaller scale, Truman and Dewey, because uh, because I, I won. And that, um, I think, ultimately, uh, it was a 10-vote margin, you know, which is just razor thin. And because the district encompassed parts of five counties, anybody who challenged the results would have had to... Uh, uh, you know, file recounts in each of those five counties, and it would have been very expensive. So uh, Dan Foley decided not to challenge the results. I won the primary, and then I uh, I beat Don Stanley in the in the fall. Wow! Yeah, that's yeah. that's it, interesting. It was exciting. Yeah, sounds like it. That's a uh, that is pretty cool. Jeez. Yeah, it's. I don't think I've heard a, a story quite like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. that's unique. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Well, it, it was it, the whole thing was life changing for me. I was 28 years old. Uh, I've been elected. Uh, I guess it would have been November of '78, and um, and then I I served uh, two terms, and was running out of post for a third term when uh, Governor Orr appointed me to the Public Utilities Commission. Right. Yeah. And then you Public, were, it's called Public yeah. Service Commission back then. Yeah. So that's and that's why you ended up just resigning, basically. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was kind of bittersweet because I gave up a, a safe seat and one that I'd worked hard to uh, to capture and then hold on to. And I was finally running unopposed. But um, as you know, the legislature is not a career, and and I believe in the citizen legislature concept. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't make a living at it, and and you shouldn't make a living at it. But I was still in my like thirty two years old. And to, to have sort of a career opportunity um, made sense to me. And, and the Public Service Commission, what was that? Um, it's now called the IURC, Indiana Utilities Regulatory Commission. But we, we regulated all the public utilities in the state back then. And uh, it was, as I say, it was more of a, uh, of a career um, 
uh, position. It, it, it paid certainly a living wage, and uh, that that was attractive. Plus, it was challenging. It was very challenging. It, Indiana at that time had two failed nuclear power plants, mm. and uh, uh, this would have been in 80, 82, and that issue was a political football because it was a, a gubernatorial election year. Uh, Governor Orr was running for re-election, and a fellow named Wayne Townsend from uh, Hartford City yeah. uh, was running on the Democrat side. But anyway, the whole uh, the, these two failed nuclear power plants and their... Um, um, Financial ramifications and political ramifications were right on the front burner, and I'm chair. I'm chairman of the commission. So, and anyway, um, that, that that's why I gave up a safe seat. I love the legislature. Yeah, um, it, it was collegial back then, Ben. I, I had as many, if not more, friends on the Democrat side of the aisle as I had on the Republican side of the aisle. Right. And and it, and the only the only pieces of legislation that were really contentious were the money bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, most of, of, of the rest of the stuff, say, you know, take, for instance, dove hunting on Sunday, making it legal. Well, you know, that's not necessarily political, and, and you, can, you can work with folks on the other side. So I, I love that give and take. I, yeah. I've, always been, I've always been kind of a public person. As I said at DePaul, I knew everybody, and I just that, that's just sort of my makeup. And so for me, uh, serving in the Indiana House from 78 to 82 was a little bit like going to college, um, being paid a little bit, had to study a little bit, had to, got to party a little bit. And, uh, and it was, you know, for the most part, just great fun. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's... And during that time, and I, I was single till I was 30, 36 years old, but I struck up a friendship with uh, one John Gregg from, from Sanborn, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, John was also a, a single guy, and he was he was a lob, he was a lobbyist for Amex Coal, and uh, or, or yeah, I guess it was Amex Coal, and uh, going to law school at IUPUI at night, and we, and we became fast friends, and and you know did a, did a lot of stuff together. Some of it a little bit crazy, although never illegal. And uh, we remain friends, um, uh, really, to this day, because that, long after I left politics, uh, John, of course, ran, ran against one of his own uh, uh, Democrat Party members yeah. in a primary, beating beat Bill Roach, and then ultimately became Speaker of the House, and two times uh, ran uh, unsuccessfully, unfortunately, for uh, uh, the governorship of Indiana. And... Uh, so when John decided to finally step step aside from politics, um, the, the company of, of which I'm CEO of uh, asked John if he would consider standing for election to uh, the boards of directors of our three companies. He agreed to do that. So so now I see John uh, four times a year when he comes to Salina for our uh, board meetings, which is. It all started, you know, in the, in the 70s. Yeah. In the analytic legislature. Yeah, interesting to see how those connections carry on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first day that, I guess, so what were you thinking the, the first day that you walked into the state house as an elected official? Well, I had been given some good advice uh, by 
uh, a fellow named Tom Robison, not Robinson, Robison, R-O-B-I-S-O-N, lawyer in Frankfurt. Uh, Tom had served in, in the house um, earlier, and he said, uh, he said, I'll give you a little advice. He, he, he said, you got to find out where the restrooms are. <laughs> and, and he said, I would recommend, Bill, that you sit in the back of the, uh, of the chambers on the left side, which is where the Republicans sat. Now, we had some spillover on the right side where the Democrats were, but I was in that back row, and he said, the reason you want to do that is so you can get in and get out. You know, if you need to go powder your nose or you need to go talk to somebody in the hall, uh, you're not stuck in the middle of the aisle uh, halfway down uh, in the chambers. And that those were little housekeeping uh, pieces of advice yeah. uh, that, that I appreciated. And uh, so what did I think? Well, I was, you know, I was awestruck. Yeah. Um, I really, I didn't have a lot of preconceived notions, but uh, I, I felt very honored to be there. I really did. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, what about your expectations for the legislative process? Was it more or less kind of what you expected? Again, I didn't have any preconceived okay. notions. I, I learned to sort of... Uh, Accept, I guess, and uh, and realize that the old saw about those who like both sausage in the law should watch neither being made <laughs> was really true. Was really true. Yeah. Um, and and I don't I don't mean to imply by that 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 that, that there was corruption. What I mean is uh, by creating a network of friends, sometimes the legislation that you're considering. Uh, or that you're you're thinking about even proposing is is done in the evening, or it, and it literally is done on the back of a napkin. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of that takes place outside the chain. I mean, the real work of of lawmaking doesn't it doesn't take place on the on the floor of either the House or the Senate. It takes place, you know, in, in committees, and sometimes you know after hours. So having having developed those friendships. And, and a network was crucial to uh, uh, to one's success and also one's satisfaction with the process, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you remember the first bill that you sponsored? No, I really no. don't. Okay, <laughs> no worries. It's been so long ago. Yeah. Um, how did you keep track of the needs and wants of your constituents? Well... I, I did a couple of things. First of all, you're in Indianapolis during the week, and then you go home on the weekends. And on Monday mornings, the Frankfurt Chamber of Commerce held a legislative breakfast every Monday. Okay. And so the local uh, senator, state senator, and I uh, would be at those breakfasts. And then occasionally, um, Lebanon uh, would also hold one, or maybe uh, uh, Westfield, because I had that part of uh, Hamilton County would hold one. But they were primarily conducted in, uh, in in Frankfurt, and I also put together um, a little piece called uh, "Coffee Break News." Now, you know, this is all before the internet; it's all before cell phones. But I I would have our staff put together the highlights of that week's legislative activity. A very short piece, just a uh, half of a uh, uh, eight and a half by eleven. Um, a paper with my picture on it. It was called Coffee Break News, <laughs> and it was sent to a number of local establishments, restaurants, barbershops, um, 
I don't, I can't remember what all else, but it was, it was supposed to be something that uh, proprietors could put out on their counter and yeah. their customers might, well, interesting, and I'm the one that started that, but it, it was amazing how many other legislators saw that and picked up on it, and they created their own version of Coffee Break News. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just tried to be visible. You know, when you're a politician, uh, particularly in the House, you're campaigning all the time. So that, you know, that means attending the fish fries and the barbecues and, uh, you know, the chamber dinners. And, and, uh, and because my district was so long and encompassed parts of five counties, I'm doing those kinds of things in, you know, all five counties. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and while you're in the legislature, uh, what role did party leadership play? How influential were they? Well, of course, very, very influential, and, and you and one has to be deferential toward the leadership. Yeah, Kermit Kermit Burroughs from uh, Mexico, Indiana, which is uh, up north by Peru, as you say in Indiana, Peru, and uh, uh, I, I forget what the other towns are. Kermit was a farmer up, up that way. He was also a protege of uh, Otis Bowen, who was governor when I was first elected. And uh, Kermit helped me a lot. He, he uh, you asked me what legislation I sponsored, and I really don't remember, but I do know that Kermit um, shoveled some of it my way, and some of it came from uh, Governor Orr's office. But K- Kermit was very helpful to me. I had seen him on the campaign trail when I was a candidate, got to know him. So once I was elected, um, uh, Kermit uh, took me and some of the other freshman legislators uh, kind of under his wing and uh, made sure that uh, that we you know, kind of got the, the proper guidance and, and, you know, met the right people. And I like Kermit a lot. Um, so he was he was a stabilizing influence and he was a, uh, a helpful resource. Yeah. Sure. Okay. That's interesting, yeah. Um, do you remember any particular times that you had to work with uh, Democrats to get some specific legislation done? Or? Well, it happened all the time. Was there a particular bill that might have been uh, debated a fair amount that you ended up working with Democrats on, or was it? I can't think of I can't think of a specific piece of legislation, Ben. I'm, okay. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, no problem. Memory just, it, memory just isn't that good. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Just curious if there's anything that stuck out to you. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of it wasn't um, headlined. Uh, garnering legislation, as I, I gave you the example of dove hunting on, you know, legalizing dove hunting on Sundays. There were a lot of little little bills like that 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 maybe weren't huge, didn't have a big consequence in yeah. know, a large scheme of things. But there were a lot of those little things, and and it just helped to have um, bipartisan uh, authorship or sponsorship. But I can't I, I can't think of anything really really big i mean i give me some time and i might be able to yeah no i i understand um let's see more of a general question here what would you say the public does not know about the indiana general assembly and how it operates well i had um kind of a preconceived notion that lobbyists were bad okay and, and once I got elected, I realized that um, that for the most part, lobbyists were not bad. They were purveyors of knowledge, and 
sharers of information that we as uh, lawmakers couldn't possibly uh, attain on our own. And so I, I, I really kind of had, a, a, after a time, had a much more positive view of lobbyists and, and the role they play. And I really didn't didn't see anything untoward. I didn't see anything illegal. Okay. Um, but, but I realized that, that, that lobbyists really are an important part of the process. I kind of learned to embrace that. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. And, and, and frankly, uh, as you got to know some of these folks, um, you, you know, you could, you know, give me the real scoop on this, you know, Joe or, uh, you know, Sally, tell me what this is really about, you know, help, help me understand. So I think that was maybe one of my biggest surprises. Yeah. Okay. So lobbying, I guess it was, it played a a big role, but it wasn't kind of the negative connotation that you often get with lobbying, I guess. No, no, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard people mention that before. Um, And what about, did your general sense of the role of money in politics at the time? Well, it, it's interesting. I, gosh, I don't, I don't remember what the state budget back, was back then. Maybe twenty-five or thirty million dollars. Yeah. But as far as I, I <laughs> conducted my first campaign, uh, and geez, I. I may have spent two thousand dollars. Okay, that was that. That was it. I mean, yeah. was, you know, I got a lot of free advertising because of that that little caper that I had pulled off of the dog sled. <laughs> right. But but uh, uh, we were paid at that time eighty five hundred dollars a year as legislators, and then you got a per diem for uh, that was it's supposed to be for for meal money, and you also got paid for uh, if you lived over. Uh, I think it was 60 miles from the state house. You got paid mileage, and I didn't live quite 50 miles. It was like 56 miles, so I wasn't able to uh, uh, to take that, that those travel uh, voucher monies. But uh, you, you certainly weren't getting rich, right? You know, by, by serving. And I just remember it. Just it, you know, compared to today, like, like even what a county commissioner's race costs. I mean, it was just it was minuscule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Some people can spend a lot of money today, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and yes, I did get some contributions. And again, from some, uh, you know, government affairs uh, departments of, of, of different companies. And, uh, and, of course, you know, I welcomed that back then. I didn't know how to raise, raise money. And right. I, was, uh, uh, I do remember turning one down that I didn't feel comfortable. It was a $1,000 donation from the uh, Indiana Railroad Association. Okay, and and it was it was given to me by a uh, house member who wanted to be speaker of the house, mm. and and it didn't come directly from the from and this was again for a reelection effort, and it didn't come directly from the railroad association. It came from again this person who wanted to be speaker, and so there was a kind of a, an oblique um, a notion that, you know, I'm here, I'm helping you with your campaign and I'd like you to consider yeah. supporting me when I run for speaker. Now that wasn't said, but you know, I, I wasn't dumb. Yeah. And then, and I just, I, I didn't have a group, just, I didn't have a real warm, fuzzy feeling about the, the railroad association and its leadership. So I, I declined that thousand dollars and ultimately, the head of that railroad association was uh, convicted of corruption, and went to jail. So my wow. six, 
my sixth sense was right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds like something that's kind of sketchy, so I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, again, another old politician told me after I first got elected, he said, Bill, you'll have to watch people in your own party closer than you have to watch people on the other side. And there, yeah. there was some truth, there was some truth to that, because uh, politics is a power game, and, uh it, I mean, it, it really is, and you just had to kind of um, try to keep your feet on the ground and, and uh, eyes and eyes and ears open because, um, again, it's a power game. You know, people try to attain power and, and maybe step over other people to attain power, not necessarily illegally. Right. But, uh, but, that, but what I just explained to you was an example of, of what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Absolutely. Let's see, what were the most controversial legislative issues during your time in the General Assembly? Uh, well, as I said, the budget. The, the budget, budget okay. Were, were all, always very yeah, intense. That's a common one, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you're talking about money and, yep. and spending spending the public's money. And uh, and I, I, I can just remember some, some great phrases like um, corporations uh, don't pay Taxes, people pay taxes. Meaning, if you if you soak uh, business and industry, they're just going to pass it on to, to their customers. Yeah, I remember that that one is is ringing true. Um, I can remember, but uh, just a n- number of really great phrases like uh, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Um, no, I don't know that. that um, you know, I represent the little people. There was one lady who was always talking about how she represents the little people. <laughs> and, but, but you know, everybody everybody's kind of got an angle, and they've got you know their their hot buttons and the things they feel passionate about. Yeah, no, that, absolutely, yeah. But the money bills were always very contentious. Sure. Yeah. What would? Um, yeah. I, no. no uh, I guess we'll yeah we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, what would you say was your proudest moment as a legislator? My proudest moment. Help me a little bit. Um, was there anything that stuck out to you that you you know that you something you really want to get done in the legislature that that. Uh, you able to accomplish, or um... I think you know. I think I was I was the most proud of just being able to to work with people, just in, yeah. in general. Yeah. Um. You know, again, I, I was handed handed a bone here or there by uh, Governor Bowen or by the Speaker of the House. I, I don't really remember what all those what all those bills were about. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was just the ability to, I guess, to, to work with, with folks of, of both parties and, uh, you know, try, you know, most people then want the same thing in, in life and in this world. Where we differ is how you get there. Right. I mean, yes. You know, most people yeah. want to feel safe. They want good health care. They want good schools. They want good roads. And you know all those things cost money. Yeah. And so again, how you how you achieve those ends is is where the issues arise. Yeah. And so to be able to try to 
um, you know, meet on some common ground or find ways to achieve those ends uh, amicably was was the part that I really enjoyed. And I lament the fact that uh, so much of the uh, collegiality has gone out of politics. And it's not just in Indiana. I mean, I mean it's everywhere. Yes, I've heard that many times now, unfortunately, of just how many people talk about the kind of increasing toxicity, I guess, of politics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I would like it today. I, I, I had a, a, it was a great period of my life. I was young, trying to figure things out, trying to, um, you know, get some direction as to where I was, was going in my life. And, and it was just a wonderful, uh, a, a wonderful experience. You know, it's like so many things. You tend to remember the good and, and, and not the bad. I really don't remember, you know, too many negative or, or bad things. I just, I, I enjoyed the process. Yeah. And I enjoyed, and I enjoyed the people. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. What would you say, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, passing a budget. You know, making sure that the state is in, um, uh, it has a balanced budget and has a surplus. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. You've got, you've got to be fiscally sound. Yeah, Sure. And that doesn't necessarily mean raising taxes. In fact, in most cases, I don't think it should involve raising taxes. I mean, I'm a conservative uh, Republican, mm-hmm. and we are generally loath to, to raise taxes. You find other ways to uh, uh, increase revenues and cut expenses. And uh, yeah. so, I don't know, to me, that comes to mind pretty quickly. Sure, okay. Um, were there any lessons that you learned about, I guess, politics or life when you're in General Assembly that were kind of like really big things that stuck with you? Well, they didn't stick with me then, and they were not revelations then, but I can tell you now that I'm 71 years old and uh, still still working, that many of the things that I learned in, in politics and in the legislature I have drawn on throughout my working career, um, uh, leadership, uh, so much of so much of what I've, I've learned, I, I learned as a young politician. And like uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf once said, uh, 90% of what I've learned in this life, I learned, learned by doing it wrong the first time. Yeah. And I've made, I've made many, many mistakes, but I've, I've, I've tried to learn from them and, uh, and, and not repeat them. So, uh, you know, public speaking, uh, you know, having a presence in front of folks, uh, being able to um, articulate, you know, a, a point of view, uh, listening. Um, and I did have to learn to listen because politicians tend to love the sound of their own voices. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, and I remember very specifically being a, uh, a luncheon speaker at the Kiwanis Club of Frankfort, Indiana. And when it was over, uh, old Dr. Hedgecock came up to me, who was, uh, he was, I mean, he was really, uh, really conservative, <laughs> and he, he supported me, I'm sure, but he, he pulled me aside, and I thought he was going to compliment me on, you know, my glowing remarks, and he said, Bill, you talk too much. <laughs> and then he walked, he walked away, and I was just sort of, you know, just sort of nonplussed. Yeah. But I, I took to heart what he said. Yeah. And... And, you know, I, I, I can remember feeling um, when I was in the legislature like I was in the know all the time. I mean, you're, you're just constantly 
you know, in the in the thick of things and in the news and on the news and everything you dealt with uh, was just so um, uh, riveted in your mind. And I never felt that engaged before or after I left politics. But when you're in it, you think that, uh, you know, everybody ought to share your zeal and your enthusiasm, and they're just dying to hear what you have to say. Yeah. What I, what I learned and have learned is that it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. That, that would be another big lesson I, I took away from politics. And I've tried to counsel some, you know, other young people along the way. Just, you know, sometimes bite your tongue. You know, saying less is, is better. Yeah, and, and and listening is the other part of communication. You don't need to talk all the time. You need to listen more. So I had to learn those things, and I and uh, sometimes it means, you know, being chastised like like that old doctor did to me. Yeah, yeah, that that seems like pretty sound advice. I imagine in politics, you know, especially when uh, some people are looking to catch any mistake, anything that you could say that could be interpreted differently, and right. Um, you got to be really calculated about how you express yourself. Yes, true. <laughs> um, so, what advice then would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? About running or about serving or... I guess both. What? Well, don't for a minute think you know it all. Um, yeah. Tr- try to be positive, and again, I I lament the fact that there's so much negativity. Uh, I I never believed that negativity sold, but I I don't know. I I mean, so many politicians are negative, and it seems to work for them. I I don't that that wasn't my style. So. I, I think being being genuine and being authentic is very important. Don't don't be something that you're not, and and I, I think maybe some politicians can fall into that trap of being something that they're not. But you know, be authentic, be be honest, be good to people, um, listen to folks. I was always bothered by uh, politicians who are shaking one person's hand and looking beyond that person to see who the next person was yeah. that they could shake hands with. In other words, see, that's not being genuine. Right. That's not being, that's not being in the moment. And um, so th- those are two, two pieces of advice. And I think just, you know, listening to folks that are smarter than you are and, and trying to develop your own style. You, you, can't, you can't develop somebody else's style. You have to... You have to take the best, I think, of what others have to offer and craft it into your own um, uh, your own philosophy and, and your own style. I'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. That. That. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I. I imagine a lot of people in the general public kind of feel like politicians might act too much and, and not be very genuine. So. Yeah. 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 That. I think that would resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. Let's see. And now, since you're, you know, really from Ohio originally and you live there today, you might not have the best sense of this, but I figured it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts anyway. Um, okay. How do you think the state of Indiana has changed over the course of your lifetime? 
Well, I can speak to that because Mercer County is right on the Indiana border. Oh, perfect. Uh, okay. And and we're 50 miles southeast of Fort Wayne, and we're about 30 miles from Portland, Indiana. Um, and uh, my law license is in Indiana, so to keep up my credentials, I, I, I do or have over the years done continuing legal education uh, in Indiana. Great, okay. And and I every year I've gone to a, a uh, um, day-long seminar in the convention center uh, sponsored by uh, the Bingham, Bingham Summers Law Firm. It's not Bingham Summers anymore. It's Dahl, Greenbaum, something, something, something. But I, I kept in touch with a lot of old friends uh, that way. And, and because we're so close to Indiana, we get Indiana news, uh, some Indiana news. So how has it changed? Um, well, I, and because I, I am so close to my old buddy John Gregg, uh, he will attest to the fact that um, the, the demographics have changed somewhat. Where he hails from in southern Indiana, coal country, uh, that was you know very strong uh, coal mining area, uh, very strong union, and it's it, and, and very strong Democrat, and yeah. it flipped. Yeah, it has flipped. It's flipped. Uh, so so that's one. Uh, I, I think it, in general, Indiana is a conservative state um, still. Uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat leadership in the in the state house and in the governor's mansion, I think in general, uh, in general, um, the the regions notwithstanding, um, Indiana has remained a fairly conservative state, fiscally conservative, socially conservative. So in that sense, I don't know that it, that it has changed a lot. Um, right. Yeah. 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 I guess especially since the general assembly still seems to be very much. Mostly Republican, uh, so uh. yeah. And I, I would I would add to that, Ben. When I was first elected to the to the House, we had a fifty one to forty nine majority. Yes, that, that yeah. Was, that's just two votes. Yeah. And that that I think it made for better legislation, and it made for better party u- uh, unity because you had to stick together. Right. Uh, we had we had a couple of mavericks in our caucus, and. Uh, if they decided to, uh, to to buck the speaker and buck the leadership and throw in the Democrats, it, it made things you know kind of dicey. But it, 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 having a slim margin kind of forced people to work together. And I don't know that, that these real wide disparities uh, in in in, in uh, partisan po- uh, 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 politics necessarily is a good thing. I, I think when you have to work together, you're forced to work together. It, it makes for better legislating yeah and i'm not real sure what the margins are but i think they're fairly sizable aren't they uh yeah it's significant it's kind of a it's it's yeah. what they go to call a super majority now um yeah so yeah. see I, I never i never experienced that yeah yeah you were definitely serving at a time where you know the, it was much more even politically between democrats and republicans than today i guess yeah yeah um and i'm not Entirely sure. I know I've, I've heard different people talk about what they think it, of why it might have happened, but it's always interesting, um, you know, how we got to where we are today. Um, yeah. But uh, in terms of the people from Indiana, Hoosiers, um, you know, what type of qualities do you think the people from Indiana have maintained over the years? 
I'll tell you a story. And okay. I won't, I'll leave the name. I'll leave the names out. Sure. <laughs> I was at a, a dinner at a dinner party uh, years ago, and I was seated next to the uh, to the to the wife and uh, grown daughter of a uh, a, a prominent uh, business person in Indiana, and the, the the wife had grown up in the East, and we were just having you know sort of your typical uh, casual dinner conversation. And uh, and I, I had at one point said, you know, I, lo- I love Indiana. And this lady said, what do you love about it? <laughs> and I said, I love the provincialism of Hoosiers. She looked at me and said, I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that because she was, she was from the East. She had a, yeah. a little, little bit of that Eastern snobism. I'll okay. <laughs> And and so and I I do I I love it I I I I will stick to my guns and I think it's still that way in many in many places I call you know it, it's provincialism it's you know it's down home people meet you and, as you are yeah 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 it's that's always interesting yeah <laughs> let's see um, I guess my I, mean, I can I can, I campaigned in pickup trucks with my dogs in the back so that's how that's how. <laughs> Kind of down home and corn pone I was. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Let's see. So final question here. Um, what would you want the people of Indiana to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, clearly that they are the, they are the bosses that, that, that lawmakers work for them mm-hmm. and not the other way around. Uh, that, that they uh, they ought to strive to be engaged and, and to be aware of, of what goes on uh, in the political realm and in legislative circles. Um, you know, not everybody can run for office and be in the know all the time, but just just be engaged in the process. Don't 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 abdicate your role as a citizen. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's kind of the only. I guess the only influence people can have is their you know citizenship yeah. and, and taking part in the process so yeah all right well is there anything that uh i didn't ask about that you wanted to mention or had any thoughts on or um i, I can remember after i first got elected my father said to me bill i'm proud of you but take a piece of advice get in and get out yeah you know too many lives have been hurt or ruined by politics and you know, it shouldn't be a career. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, Ohio has term limits, and I, I, I kind of embrace term limits. It's not a panacea for all right. of, uh, uh, government's ills. But in uh, Indiana has the citizen legislature, which I also embrace. Yeah. But I, I was glad I had the opportunity. I was very proud to have served, and, and I'm equally glad that I, I got out when I did because I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because... I guess there is always a fear that people just kind of cling on uh, to these political positions forever, and then. <laughs> well, you see it. You yeah. see it every day. Yep. In both part, in both parties, at both the state and federal level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they just stay on forever, and after a while, you 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 can't do anything else. I mean, yeah. you don't know how to do anything. You know, I mean, this is not a political jab, but you know, look at Joe Biden. He, mm-hmm. He's been he's been a. Uh, 
in Congress or a lawmaker since he was 29 years old. Yeah, yeah, that's and, wild. And that, see, that could that could have been me. I was elected at 28. Yeah, because uh, politics is a power game. Yeah, it's not necessarily a money game. It's the power that's addictive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I guess uh, people are always also concerned just of if you're in a, if you're involved in politics so much and for so long, you know, whether you just kind of get to the point where you stop really caring about compromises and yeah. um, it's, it's interesting. I'll be curious to see how, how that develops uh, nationally and in Indiana if, if anytime soon, but um, yeah. yeah, well, thank you so much for doing this. I, right. I yeah, really appreciate pleasure, it. Man. It was great good, to good luck, good luck. Good luck to you and your venture. Yes, thank you, and uh, yeah, I'll be in touch and let you know when I'm okay. uh, getting ready to post it. So, okay, that's terrific. All right, <laughs> adios. Thank you. Bye bye.